No, 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 even that's too good for him. So, the authors would wish it to be known that the bulk of this episode was recorded the night before the United States general presidential elections. So, in lieu of that, on behalf of the Motorsport 101 party and our nomination for the presidency in 2020, Ryan Eric King, here is a brief statement. Thank you. Yeah, you know what? Here's the message of Donald Trump. Oh, honestly, oh. He's a... That's what he is. I mean, am I the only one? Or are you not seeing what I'm seeing? This is bloody disgraceful. I'll keep racing, but I'll tell you what, this is going to remain with me for a long time. You're a pack of assholes. Good evening and welcome to episode, what is it, 65 now of Motorsport 101? Oh my god, we're getting too old for this, King. We're like, we are we are getting so... It is, it is episode 65, we're getting far too yes. old for this. Yes, yes, we are here, we're back for another episode. And um, King, we got a big-ass problem here. There was like almost literally no motorsport this past weekend. <laughs> Keyword almost. 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 <laughs> Almost did did, did did you did you watch the WEC six hours of Shanghai last week? <laughs> to be honest, not a single, not a single second. <laughs> Me neither. Great. <laughs> yeah, I've said it before, and I will say it again. Nobody really cares about the WEC. I don't care what anyone says to me. Like, oh no, Audi's quitting the WEC. Did you watch their second to last race? No. <laughs> <laughs> Of course he didn't, because you don't really care about the WEC and you often just use it as a whipping stick against Formula One. Yeah, it's okay, you guys. We get it. We get it. It's okay. (laughs) But uh, we have nothing to really talk about on this week's episode. So what we're going to do is, on this edition of the show, we're going to milk it. We're going to milk this to the nth degree. We somehow managed to make the mailbag twice as big as usual. So well done to you guys listening who sent in questions. You guys are great. And we're going to have an extended Keeping It 101 just, just for this episode. Because, we, God damn it, we have to fill in the time somehow. Right, King? Yeah, yeah, somehow. Somehow. That's what we do around here. We improvise. Because that's what makes us so great. <laughs> professionalism. That's what we do around here. Speaking of professionalism, if you, if you want to catch us on certain avenues, here's how you can find us. We are on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. We're on YouTube, somehow devoid of video content, at youtube.com <laughs> forward slash motorsport101. Also, disclaimer, people have asked me about this. Like, Dre, where's the videos at? Blame Johnson. He has like three of them in the back. He's not edited yet. <laughs> it's your problem now, Johnson. You've got to edit the show with that in there. Have fun with that. But um, he's got three in the backlog. The, the real reason is I've been out sick for the last week. It's, the reason, it's part of the reason I wasn't on last week's show, for those unaware. One, I was at work. And two, I had a nasty case of, of, of laryngitis last week. It was like a flu on steroids, basically, and um, I could barely speak for about four days. Um, I, my voice was just well enough to do Bike Live last week um, over on over on Downforce Radio for those that are fans of me in, in, in general. Um, my voice had only was, was barely functional to be able to do that show on Friday morning, um, but boy, it, it, it kicked my ass. There's no other way to describe it. I was, I was 
suffering at work with like really hot air conditioning and because it's getting cold in the United Kingdom now it's 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 freezing down here in London it was a long week but one I am back in the saddle as of next week and two we think we've got a new video editor big shout out to Connor Pearson who actually offered to edit videos for us what a saint so Connor if you're listening you're a goddamn legend I appreciate you a lot and if you really, really like the show and you want to back us financially, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. You know the guys that are on the list. The guys that are always on there. Sean and Kachinu, Evan Manley, Miles Pardo, Tom Stanley, Jack Ware, Brian OGT4, uh, Josh Satil, Jake Callahan, Tyler Small, Parker Zaglin, and Scott Woodwist. For those guys that have been asking me about the shirts, again, me being sick really kind of wreaked havoc with me. I was going to send them off last week. It will be done this weekend, I promise. So... Um, apologies for that. They're all sitting in the corner of my bedroom. I've got handwritten notes written out for each one as well as a way of saying thanks. So bear with me on that. I, I will get around to it soon, I promise. Um, we're still kind of playing catch-up back here, but uh, let's just say we've got a lot of off-season plans in, 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 in the works, to, to, to say the least. So um, we're, we're going to be coming towards the end of weekly episodes, probably around end of November, December kind of time. But... We've got plenty to fill in the void in the meantime. Just trust me on that. But uh, let's get into the show and let's get into keeping it 101. And on keeping it 101, we have an extended keeping it 101 because basically we got to fill in time for the next good at least half hour <laughs> somehow we're going to pull this off king so what did you want to talk about this week i hear a certain team from chicago may or may not have won the world series <laughs> yes yes yeah, probably like the biggest sports story well in the united states at least that the chicago cubs had won their first world series in 108 years uh, amazing like the last time the Chicago Cubs won the World Series was 1908. And first of all, I want to say a big shout out to Sports Center that had this amazing commercial of them at work wiping off the years since the, since the year since the Chicago won the World Series, 108 to zero. And what was next to it? A sign for, for Ryan King's beloved New York Jets. Number of years since the butt fumble, four. <laughs> hey, hey, King, how's that working out for you? <laughs> uh, not good, not good. <laughs> like, just to put this in perspective, like, the last time the Chicago Cubs won a World Series, Enzo Ferrari was uh, 16 years old. Jesus Christ. <laughs> now I just feel really old. Actually, no, messed up the math. Enzo Ferrari was 10 years old. Oh, stop. Uh, <laughs> make, make it stop. This is, this, is, this is ridiculous. Oh, my God. But, uh, yeah, Enzo Ferrari was 10. I, like, my grandfather hadn't even been born yet. I don't think my great-granddad had been born yet in 1908. Holy crap. <coughs> Pardon me. But, um, geez, Chicago wins the World Series, but you have an interesting take on that, don't you, King? Yes, it's probably... <laughs> I. Ooh, how would I say that this curse... Like, Theo Epstein has probably been one of the largely people who've been credited for turning around the Cubs into mm. a title contender and eventually win this World Series. And he's 
now become known as the curse breaker because right. he broke this curse and he also broke uh the curse of the bambino in boston where he won the red sox first se- world series in oh god i have to look the curse of the bambino was like 80 <laughs> i want to say it was 86 years something like that yeah 86 years where theo epstein was really the the man that they looked at in the back office as someone who could really turn around ball clubs and at the time he at the time in Boston he was the youngest general manager in all of baseball he was only uh he was 28 when they hired him in 2002 so he was 30 when he broke the the curse of the Bambino in Boston wait 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 he was gm at 22 uh, GM at 28. 28. Like, how do you get to be a sports GM at 28 years old? That's ridiculous. Uh, number one, go to an Ivy League university. He went to Yale. It helps, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Number two, he was... He, he moved his way up the ladder fairly quickly, where he... The first team he worked with was... Um, the San Diego Padres. Mm. Then his he was he was a PR assistant at the Orioles before then. Right. Uh, he worked under uh, the director of player development at the Padres. Then his boss got hired as um, president of the Red Sox. Then his former boss hired him as GM. That's how he ended up in that role. Wow, that's that's one hell of a way to get in. <laughs> yeah, and then he won a World Series of the Red Sox in 2004, did it again in 2007, then 2011, he quit his job because he, he wanted a new challenge, and he took an even bigger challenge. 2011, he went to Chicago and became the president of baseball operations for the Chicago Cubs, a ball club that hasn't been to the that hadn't been to the World Series since the Second World War, and again hasn't hasn't won a World Series since you know 1908. Not bad. Not, yeah, not bad. You know. And through his through his management genius of somehow pulling off trades to get players that other teams deem you know unuseful or unfit he just picks up these guys and somehow pulls together a team that could be competitive but he also he also heavily focuses on getting young talent that can you know really be useful to him kind of like uh how red bull operates their academy of like it's it's better to you know get young guys on the cheap who turn out to be well than you know be a quote-unquote McLaren or a New York Yankees and get the expensive superstars. Is that like basically like basically Moneyball, but for baseball, for for real? <laughs> yeah, you know, like uh, Theo Epstein is probably the guy who made uh, uh, like I would say the Oakland Athletics made Moneyball turn a crap team into being an average team. Theo Epstein made Moneyball turning an average team into a championship winning team. Wow. That's and that's, like, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> and the curse in Chicago was known as the curse of the Billy Goat because it was, you know, kind of theorized that um, the reason that the Cubs weren't winning World Series is because um, I forgot which 
the origin of the curse, but uh, apparently they kicked a goat out of the ball out of, out of the ballpark. <coughs> really? <coughs> Pardon me. Man. So they, mm. <laughs> so so to celebrate his World Series victory, Theo Epstein decided to have goat <laughs> to eat a goat. Come on now. <laughs> That, that, that's one too far. I mean, okay, you've won the World Series. That's amazing. Did you, did you really have to celebrate by eating goat just to make a point? Okay, like, Theo Epstein is, I would say... An eccentric? He, he's, he, he's very eccentric. Like, so, like, after he won the 2007 World Series, it was rumored that he was going to leave the Red Sox. The media was hounding him so bad like outside of Fenway Park they were waiting for him to come out the ballpark every day that one day to get out of the ballpark on Halloween he dressed up in a gorilla costume to sneak by the press <laughs> he's, he's mad he's mental <laughs> he's clearly not all there I love it and ju- just so you know just so you know he, he broke the street in Boston he broke the street in Chicago he's from New York <laughs> Oh. Yes, he's from New York. He's one of yours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you people are crazy in New York. You know that, King? All of you. <laughs> Every single one of you. <laughs> yeah, he was born in New York, but he was raised in a Boston suburb. So, yeah, that shows why he wanted to break that streak. So, bad. I guess, you know, Chicago is like, hey, I'm good at doing this, so might as well take my talents elsewhere and become legendary in the span of less than 10 years what a crazy crazy dude that's like i i I wonder what he could do for a formula one team he's on to something send him to salba right (laughs) send him to salba give him an open checkbook and say theo you you clearly know what you're doing like i know f1's kind of new for you but you're good with numbers and you're, and, and you're good at moneyballing talent. I'm sure you can fish something out of this horrible, horrible F1 franchise. Right? Right? <laughs> Hopefully he just doesn't just get up and like, I can't deal with these people, I quit. <laughs> or, or sign free drivers to contracts for 2015. That, that, that would also help. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Manisha. He would, he, <laughs> Sorry, Manisha. He too. <laughs> But uh, that, that's that's actually crazy. again. Congratulations to the Chicago Cubs. It's it, like I watched Game Seven, um, even though I'm, like, I'm not a baseball viewer for what it's worth. I do watch a lot of American sports, but baseball, I just can't do. But I did make a, a special effort to watch Game Seven. It was the best baseball game I've ever seen. It was incredible, um, an, an amazing, amazing game. Um, home runs everywhere. Like the teams are going. The, the atmosphere was incredible. And when Chicago had finally done it, I, I, I put on Facebook. I said, "You know what? Ask out that girl you've always liked. <laughs> Buy like spend all your money on lottery tickets. Like book that holiday for yourself. You're in the presence of a miracle. The Cubs just won the World Series." And I also want to say shout out to Michael J. Fox on Twitter, who famously played Marty McFly in the Back to the Future movies, who said, damn, only a year out. Congrats, Chicago. Because in in Back to the Future 2, they predicted the Cubs would win the World Series, but in 2017. So technically, they're only a year out. That's kind of crazy to consider. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well done. Well done, Universal Studios. Well done. But... um, Speaking of sports for a minute, on my side of the Keeping It 101, 
Shout out to Andy Murray, ladies and gentlemen. Like the officially the best tennis player in the world now is Andy Murray. There is something that I never thought I would say. <laughs> like not even three months, like not even three years ago, but even six months ago, I never thought I would say that because I remember no, like big chat to friend of the show, Big Mac, Big Ben McPhillips, over on Danvers and tweeting me this. Like it was only six months ago when Novak had one, the, had one of the most dominant rankings leads ever seen, and in the space of six months, like Murray has won like eight singles titles, including obviously Wimbledon, and is now the world number one king. This is crazy. The greatest tennis player in the world is a Brit. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> oh dear. Part of me, like on Twitter, I was like, "Where's the hype train in Britain?" Because there's like no hype around Marie finally being number one. But yeah, I think I think I may have called that too early because Dre is clearly excited for this. Like honestly, like I have I've been an Andy Murray fan for a long time, and the the biggest reason why I've been an Andy Murray fan for such a long time is because he's never gotten a fair shake from their own British media. Like, because for what it's worth, we have this strange thing with tennis players where we, like, for like for a good while, our best tennis player was Tim Henman for a long time. And Henman, yep. Henman became known in this country as a bottle artist because he never won Wimbledon. It's actually still kind of sad whenever they weed him out for Wimbledon coverage every year. <laughs> and it's underneath his name, Tim Henman, four-time Wimbledon semi-finalist. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> it's like... It, it it pains me because you used to call it Henman Hill and it, like he really doesn't deserve that title anymore. Like, like I'm sorry, Henman, it's got to go. It's got to be Murray Mound now. I'm sorry. Like sorry, Tim. This boy actually won something. <laughs> but uh, it's 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 sad because like Tim Henman was really really good and we kind of looked at him in kind of a condescending way. And then we had Greg Rosetsky. And Rosetsky, he was only really British whenever he won something. If, if he was crap, we just said, oh, oh, he's just Canadian. He don't count. <laughs> like, that's how terrible we were with tennis players for a good while. And Murray was no different. Like, for a good while, it was, oh, he's Scottish. He don't count. <laughs> but if he won something, oh, he's British. He's British king. Just, that was the thing for years yep. with Andy Murray. For years, that was what was going on with him. Right? And until he won, until he won the U.S. Open, I think, I think that was what twenty fourteen. Now I want to say that was like he, yeah, that was a while back. Yeah, twenty fourteen. He won like like okay, so like he won the Olympic gold medal in twenty twelve. That was the that was the start. Oh yeah, twenty twelve. He won the U.S. Open in twenty twelve. Yeah, twenty twelve. God, that was, that really is a long time ago now. Shit. Yeah, that yeah. Was, it was like the summer of Murray. <laughs> the summer of Murray. He won the Olympic gold in twenty twelve. He beat. He beat Federer in straight sets to win to win the gold medal at Wimbledon, which was surprisingly colourful for that time of year. Uh, <laughs> shout out to London 2012 on that one. And then a month later, he wins the US Open. It was like, oh my god, he's got the Olympic gold. He's won the US. He's, he's won a Grand Slam. That's huge. Next thing you know, he wins Wimbledon the next year, and he's like, okay, Andy Murray is now immortal. <laughs> but well, the thing that annoys me about with Andy Murray is that not like it's, the man is. A, He's a freaking fantastic tennis player. And, like, he's been the driving force behind getting more people in this country to play tennis. And he's been such an incredible figure for that in this country. I cannot tell you, King, just how far the impact he has made to get people to go out there and play tennis. That's incredible. And on top of that... Our, like, our British sporting media, we, I, I, or I think we as British people, I don't think we will ever give Murray the credit he deserves on a level in terms of just 
just in terms of just overall recognition. It's, I just find it bizarre because it doesn't, for example, it doesn't feel like he's won Sports Personality of the Year twice in, 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 in it already. For And he's probably going to win it again this year because he's been by a mile our best athlete, I would say, over the course of this calendar year. Won eight singles titles, won another Olympic gold, won Wimbledon again. Now is world number one, like topping the Novak Mountain. And yet you have to dig deep to find the really good columns on Andy Murray, like saying that, yeah, he's one of our greatest ever athletes, period. And I completely <laughs> agree. He he absolutely is. This is the man that saved a generation of tennis for us in this country. <laughs> but it really feels like the British media don't care about tennis outside of Wimbledon. You're right. I don't think it does. I I I think we've gotten a little bit too accustomed to Federer and Nadal and Djokovic and that era and Murray's not really broken it out in this time and you're right. I think outside of our own, I think it's a bit a little bit of British arrogance in there where we'll give a shit about Wimbledon we'll weed, we'll weed out on the BBC every year we'll break out Sue Barker and we'll get, we'll get the coverage out we'll, you know, we'll get McEnroe down to, for us to, little, to do a little bit of coverage for us and we had Roddick last year and he was amazing by the way <laughs> like Roddick is the <laughs> Andy Roddick is the man but um like we'll we'll do that, but like I think Sky Sky Sports gets all the other majors, um, especially the US. They they love promoting the that one big time over here in this country. They like promoting the US Open on Sky, but like on on a ground level, I just don't think the media cares about tennis all that much, and it makes me sad because we have like a legitimate ridiculous athlete in Andy Murray. And we've even got Joe Conta, who's now in the top 10 on the women's side, too. Yeah. Like, we've got Joe Conta now. She's actually really good. So it's like... (laughs) So it's like tennis has never been brighter in this country, ever. And, like, the British media just doesn't give a shit. I just find that really, really sad that, you know, we've got a legit, world-class, amazing tennis athlete out here, and yet we are still so half-hearted in endorsing him because, like... King, the man is incredible. Like the man, yeah. the man is. Do complain. Do complain. He is absolutely insane, and he's a proper workhorse too. I mean, the guy was killing himself when he was juggling Grand Slams in the Davis Cup for Great Britain, and he, he won that last year too. And I, and I know people don't really give a shit about the Davis Cup and all that, but that was pretty cool yeah, as well. Not even like tennis fans care about the Davis Cup at this point, but we did when he won it for us. You know, <laughs> like oh yes, our first Davis Cup in like ninety years. Great, even, even though none of us gave a shit about the Davis Cup beforehand anyway but like it it annoys me and the only thing I can take a bit of solace from is that he is currently the bookies favorite to win BBC Sports Personality of the Year for the third time this December which is pretty neat um, I think he's the 13 to 8 bookies favorite right now have a, let's have a quick look real quick um, yeah because like it seems like to win personality of the year all you have to do is be successful but not des- not divisive that's why like it's hard for footballers to win sports personality of the year unless it's you're doing well for the, for England, which is like rare. Yeah. Like honestly, okay. He was 13 to eight. He's now four to 11 King. Now he's world number one. That pretty much sealed it. But according to the bookies and in in the eyes of the bookies, we're done here. Basically. Andy Murray's now four to 11 in second, second on the list is uh, Alistair Brownlee at four to one after not only his Olympic gold in the triathlon, but also the, the viral clip of him literally throwing his brother over the line. Um, that was also pretty incredible. That so the bookies were like, yeah, yeah, let's bump, let's bump up a bit because yeah, he's, he's got like the, the the casual vote. Maybe their lap rocked up. Next up is uh, Kings Bay. Oh, the King, sorry, I'm no sorry, Johnson's Bay. Laura Trot. 
Wrong one, my bad. <laughs> um, yeah, then we got Johnson's Bay, Laura Trot in there at 8-1. to one. Mo Farah at 10s. Then it gets really out there. Gareth Bale, 25. Uh, Nick Skelton, uh, the um, the jockey, 33-1. to one. Anthony Joshua, the boxer, 50-1. to one. Jason Kenny of 50s. Jessica Ennis Hill at 50 to 1. That's crazy. Damn. Like, yeah. that, like I, I, I wouldn't assume that the track stars would be so low. Yeah, like normally they're a lot lower than that. Like 50 for Jessica Ennis Hill is, is crazy. Like, I thought, every, the thing is, in this country, everybody loves Jessica Ennis Hill. But I think because of the Chet Evans trial result, people may yeah. turn on her a little bit. Because she was very vocal in going against Chad Evans when the when the rape trial came around first time round, and everyone was like, "Well, Jessica, you got to apologize now." And I'm like, "No, she don't." <laughs> yeah, she doesn't have to apologize. The hell, like he was found guilty first time round. Like we all thought he was guilty. Shut up. Yeah, just because he was acquitted doesn't mean that every person who was like, "Yeah, you're going to jail," needs to apologize now. Yeah, quick, quick running any other contenders. We got Max Whitlock at fifty to one, the gymnast. Uh, uh, Lewis Hamilton, sixty six to one. He may not even win the world title this year. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lewis Hamilton 60, 66 to one. Adam Peaty, the, the breaststroker, one hundred to one. The rest of these are all a hundred. Carl Frampton, Charlotte Dujardin, Chris Froome. Chris Froome is a hundred. Good, good lord. Um, Danny Willett, hundred to one off of his um, his masters. Uh, Jamie Vardy, hundred to one. Uh, Justin Rose, 100 to 1. Mark Cavendish, Nicola Adams, Sarah Story, and Sir Bradley Wiggins. Uh, all. Yeah, I, was, I was surprised that Froome was so low. He won the tour again for the third time this year. Third time in four years, and he's 100 to 1. Because he, you know what it is, King? He ain't, he ain't got no personality. People, people don't like that. People, and people people don't watch the tour. So. Yeah, pe- people don't watch the tour, and people think he's boring. That's the problem. Because <laughs> people legitimately think... Personality of the year actually means personality. Great. Uh, also, in case you're curious, do you want to know who the favourites are for the team of the year real quick? Who's team of the year? Oh, come on, now. There's one obvious name. Think football. Oh, uh, Leicester City. Leicester City are one to six. One to six for Leicester City to win team of the year. Um, you got the Olympic women's hockey team at nine to one. Then you got the Olympic cycling team at 10s, who probably should win it, quite frankly, because they were yeah. they were insane. Every single one of them got at least one medal. That's crazy. <laughs> um, Wales Euro 2016 team is 16s. Um, the Olympic gymnastics team, 25 to 1. Um, the European Ryder Cup team. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> the European Ryder Cup team. We didn't even win. <laughs> <laughs> 33 to 1. Get out of here. Um, now nah, people people are just feeling sentimental. They're like, so now that Briggs is a thing, are we still in the Ryder Cup, guys? Yeah. McElroy fist bumped a bit. That was about it. Um, the England rugby. Nah, nah. The only thing I remember from the Ryder Cup is McElroy getting showed up by some random guy in the crowd. Shut up, King. Shut up. Shut up. It wasn't a good week for us, okay? Uh, the England rugby union team, 40s. The Olympic track and field team, 50 the team sky for the cycling team 66 to 1 the olympic swimming team 80 to 1 they weren't even all that good to be honest with you and the northern ireland euro 2016 team that made it into the whole second round 100 to 1 so yeah leicester city's winning team of the year make like make no mistake they are absolutely winning that honor um jamie vardy was a good contender for the individual award for a good while as well so uh you know that's a thing um but yeah that's 
uh, you know, that, that's the way I look at it. So, yeah, at least Murray will win another sports personality, most likely, unless the fans turn on him for some stupid reason. Like, Andy Murray is basically now, like, sporting god in this country now. But, uh, you know, we don't really like him all that much still, which is just kind of crazy. But, you know, that makes me sad. It makes me sad. Very much so. Cause, you know, like, like, oh, I got the list, like, the historic list of teams to win. And I'm surprised. Mm. The last time a British Grand Prix team has won Team of the Year was 1962 when BRM won Team of the Year. And before that, the first ever Team of the Year was Cooper in 1960. Wow. Holy crap. That's... Since then, it's been a drought. No Formula One team has ever won Team of the Year since then. Yeah, I think I think the Mercedes team was a contender last year, but I can't remember who beat them. Was it last year? That I think it was... Who beat them last year? The Davis Cup team won last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Davis Cup team from Great Britain. Yeah, again, the cup that we didn't give. We, we pretended to give a shit about when Murray won it. Of course. Yeah, like, like if I had to pick a team last year, I probably would have picked the the England's women's team. Yeah, I was okay. They, they were amazing. Holy crap! Yeah, like, they didn't win. They they finished. It was the most amazing fourth place finish you will ever see in your life. Um, quite frankly, but um, yeah, let's. Like, let, let's keep it 101 pretty much covered. Let's get into the news and, of course, the Super Mailbag edition of Motorsport 101. Soaking, we've got a couple of loose ends to tie up here before we get into the mailbag proper this time round. First of all, we have the worst kept secret of Silly Season revealed as Lance Stroll is officially announced as Valtteri Bottas' teammate, the Felipe Massa replacement at the Williams F1 team for 2017. Hooray! Right? Yay! Yay! Claire, Claire goes from deputy team principal to headmaster real quick. <laughs> headmaster! <laughs> <laughs> oh dear yeah like for those regulars I think Lance he only just turned 18 right yep and I think that was that, I think that was what was uh, keeping it on hold really was just the fact that um, they were they, they did they, they obviously they couldn't really unveil the fact that he was um, that he was going to join the team because again they're sponsored by Martini Martini obviously is an alcohol firm, and let's be real here, they weren't really going to go out of their way to reveal a 17-year-old when a team is sponsored by an alcohol company. Not, yep. not Especially, a- <laughs> what, the drinking age in Britain is 18. I know the drinking age in his home province in Canada, in, in Quebec, is 18. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think it's, yeah, I think it's, and in, in, in a lot of America, it's 21 in a lot of places. Yeah, so, yeah. You know. in, yeah, in the United States, it's 21, in Canada, it's 18, so. Oh, Canada, give, give, give me the free drinking as always <laughs> but um yeah yeah um overall just um oof, it's it's an interesting move it's, it's gotten a lot of talk now it's finally confirmed there was the internet was was kind of rife on this one um what i find amazing here king is that so many people here are were rising to stroll's defense after winning the european formula 3 title last year um king where were these people when esteban ocon won it two years ago just, just, just asking um, nowhere because um, Esteban Ocon is not the son of a billionaire. Mm, mm. It's, it's funny how these things turn out. As I know that you know, certain people out here were saying, "Oh well, you know, 
Lance Stroll won the European Formula 3 title. Where's the focus on that? Because you guys don't give a shit about the European Formula 3 title. <laughs> That's why. Like, like you guys are too busy trashing the series after all the crashes they had last year. That's the yep. reason why. So, you know, like, I, I, said, it, I said it on Twitter at the time. I, I said, listen, no one here with a brain is really dismissing is the significance of Stroll's European Formula 3 title. That's great. Good for him. And yeah, he, he, he was amazing in the European Formula 3 this year. Absolutely dominated the title. Could have taken the last three weekends off and it wouldn't, and he still would have won the championship. My point I want to make is this. Like, let's not be naive here. No guy off the back of a European Formula 3 title is debuting with a top five team right away. No nope. way. Like, Lance Stroll's dad is a billionaire and... The, apparently he's already put over 80 million dollars into his son's investment into formula one 80 million dollars king Eight. yeah this is like that is williams could be a top four team again money yeah that's that is an insane ridiculous amount of money there is absolutely no denying that the, the financial factor of stroll played a massive hand into getting a seat as prolific as Williams right away. So please, let's not be naive about this either and say, oh, this is not a money move. It's about his skill. It's about his ability. Yeah, he's got that too. I'm not denying that yeah, for a yeah. minute. He's like the dream rookie driver. He's got both. He's got both. He's got talent and he's got a ridiculous boatload of money behind him. Lance admitted himself that the, the, the money was a huge factor to get this F1 seat. If he can be honest about it, why can't we as fans... Like, let's also understand. It's like, like Lance is not defending the amount of money that's got him to this point. Like, he's not caping for his dad's money here. So why do we have to make the caping for him? I, I don't get it, King. It's just, it's, it's like, like, why are people so naive about Stroll's money and where it's coming from? I, I, like, I, I, is it the whole pay driver thing again, where people want to defend his honor because he's actually pretty good? Yeah, yeah, it's a pay driver thing again. Especially <laughs> especially when his dad is that notably wealthy. It's not like he's some backseat, no one's ever heard of his family before kind of millionaire. Yeah, it's 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 it's, like, it's not rich, he's wealthy. It's, like, it's that famous Chris Rock comedy comedy sketch where he goes, Shaq is rich. The, the, the white guy that signs his checks is wealthy. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, again, but again, to defend, like, the skill side, there's only, like, we're not saying that he's not good, but there's, no, like, absolutely. only there's only six occasions where he finished outside the top five last season in a 30-race season. Like, he is incredible. Like, the kid is a very talented kid. Absolutely no one is denying that about him at all. But what I am saying is, is that the money played a massive hand in this too. Yes. And, and, and especially when Williams is a top five team that has struggled the last two years and needs the money to literally be able to exist at this point. Like, yeah, and it's like, it's not as... Lawrence Stroll, his dad, loves racing. He owns a racetrack. He owns he owns uh, Montreblanc. And he, like, he... He collects vintage Ferraris. Like, this dude loves racing. And that's a good thing. We got another guy that wants to, that actually gives a shit about racing in racing. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, like I like I just think people are, are people are coming out here in denial. I've said it time and again. Like the pay driver thing has evolved into more of a pay driver we like kind of thing. Because I know Rio Harianto got trashed when he 
but the man of seat when he finished fourth in GP2 the previous season had better credentials than Marcus Ericsson did. And ironically, we're now starting to get behind Marcus Ericsson as a driver now. We would have realized, oh, wait, he's actually kind of good, this kid. Um, (laughs) Even though that people bashed Ericsson for having a lot of personal backing. Yeah, a lot of personal backing and was only sixth in GP2 when he graduated into the Lotus Drive. So, you know, you can't win if you try here, you know? Um, so again, like our lack of consistency when it comes to the pay driver thing, I just find amazing and really kind of annoying at this point that for certain drivers, no one will make that pay driver argument. Whereas with other guys, they will shove it down people's throats. Well, what I would also say on top of this is that like King, tell your mans, tell your mans, Claire, in this case, tell your woman's, tell your woman's Claire Williams, that no one is buying the crap that she was putting at the press conference, King. <laughs> Tell your man. Because Claire Williams said Williams is a team that has never been influenced by, by cash when it comes to implying a driver. <laughs> like, Claire, who are you fooling here? Like, Yeah, like, what, what about that driver, Claire, that said that you personally had his car sabotaged? Yeah, I, I, yeah, 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 Claire, like, just, just to remind you, Claire, you once cut reigning GP2 champion Nico Hulkenberg in 2010 for Pastor Maldonado, literally because he had more funding for the team than he did. Who? What are you trying to prove here, Claire? At one point, your team was literally Pastor Maldonado and Bruno Senna. <laughs> Two very, very reputable drivers, but also two guys that had a ton of funding behind them. Like, holy crap. Like, Claire, you're (laughs) fooling no one here. Absolutely no one. Like, it's okay. We get it. Your team is struggling. you, You haven't got the funds to compete with Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari. We all know that, and that's okay. But, like... Who are you fooling by saying we're not a team influenced by money? Every team is influenced by money to a degree. Yeah, yeah. It's like just just be honest about it. Like personally, we don't care. There are probably like a whole bunch of people that do care, but they're oh god. How how did I phrase who these people are who actually care that teams are influenced by money? Idiots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, I just find it, I just find it asinine that, that Claire, like, like Claire, Claire Williams thinks we're stupid, King. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. I like Claire Williams a lot. I've got a lot of time yeah. for, I've got a lot of time for Claire, but I'm like, who are you fooling here? You once cut a 22 year old Nico Hulkenberg for Pastor Maldonado's old ass. No, 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 no. We're not buying this. <laughs> Whatever you're selling, I ain't buying. Um, so, you know, congrats to Lance Stroll. It's a great opportunity for the kid. Great to have another, you know, healthy investor in F1 in the future. Good for Williams because they've got, you know, a ton of money that's going to come their way to help this kid get over. Although, I will say this. Bad news if you're Valtteri Bottas. Like, this is not good. Like, there's, there, there is a lot of scenarios that could happen here for Valtteri Bottas going forward. And not many of them are good here, King. Hey, hey, hey. He could have a better car, though. He could have a better car, though. But he could get upstaged by an 18-year-old rookie. Whoa, whoa. Things turned out fine for Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, because he's like a legitimate top three or four driver on the planet. Valtteri Bottas is not that guy. (laughs) As much as we like to bash Valtteri Bottas. 
What? No, 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 no. I don't... Who is this we? You, you mean Chris Cook, You don't, don't you? <laughs> yes. Hi, Chris. If, I, know, I know you're listening. Hi. Um, but, um... Walter Motaz is a solid driver. I, would, I wouldn't put him in, like, the upper echelon of, like, top five or top seven guys. No. But he, he's solid. He's solid. He's very solid. And the thing is, well, the, the Ferrari dream has pretty much died of him because he, he just kind of proved he wasn't really all that good. If he, if he can't really convincingly beat Felipe Massa, he probably hasn't got a chance of a Ferrari seat. The problem is, is that if Stroll comes out and, and is halfway decent right out of the box, it's not going to make Bottas look good. That's the problem with him going forward. And you know what? He's not happy about a record he's got, King. <sighs> yeah. What, what record is this? <laughs> um, most points without a Grand Prix victory. Uh, oh, oh, Val. <laughs> so in other words, he, he in other words, he reaped the rewards of Williams being like the second best car two years ago, had six podiums in 2014, and it's now got a ton of points and no win to show for it. Poor guy. <coughs> Pardon me. Poor, poor guy. Oh, dear. But, uh, you know, good for Williams. I think that's a, I think that's a solid hire. You know, it's a dream situation. You've got a rookie who's talented with some money. That's that's an amazing situation right there and to uh, to make it work for him. So that's, that's, that's awesome. Um... Speaking of driver hires over on over on IndyCar, we've got a situation here where another seat uh, has gone away. I mean, last week we talked about Takuma Sato getting the Andretti seat though over there replacing Carlos Munoz. Hashtag sad face. Um, this week it was revealed that in the twenty one car full time for ECR next year will be J.R. Hildebrand, which I think is. An interesting hire, King. I mean, we, we all know what Hildebrand's probably most famous, or in this case, infamous for, in his career in IndyCar so far. But the kid's been given a second chance. Although, I really shouldn't say kid given. He's 28 years old now. 28 years old now. I still remember when the young rookie had it all, had the lead to himself on the last lap of the 2011 Indianapolis 500. And heading into the last corner, he went a bit wide to go around a car. Got His car got tight. Couldn't turn it in and went right into the outside wall, leaving the door wide open for Dan Weldon to take the victory. <laughs> I wasn't even an IndyCar fan back then, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. That's going to be played on American sporting bloopers for years to come. Like, like J.I. Hildebrand, Hildebrand went full Lindsay Jacobellis. Don't ever go full Lindsay Jacobellis. Those, those are the- yeah, he, he should have he just stayed behind the lap car and just, you know, and cruised home. But he's like, no, I'm getting around this guy. <laughs> Oh, JR. Oh, oh, God. But uh, we all know that now we've gotten the jokes out of the way. It's a pretty cool hire, King. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that he's getting a second chance here. <sighs> yeah, because he's been fairly solid over the last couple of seasons. He's only done Indy 500s, and he's been really solid. Like, this year's 500, he finished 6th. The year before, he finished 8th. The year before that, he finished 10th. Mm, three straight top 10s at the 500 is pretty good going, and I'm not sure how he's going to translate that into the road courses and the street tracks, obviously, but I I, I mean, ECR needs a consistent full-timer in the 21 car. There's names out there, but could you really imagine someone like Montoya driving for that team or somebody like that? I, I don't think so. So for me, to get in Hildebrand, who apparently had a very good rep after helping Newgarden now after his accident last year, apparently Hildebrand put himself in really good stead. 
filling in over there and setting the car up for Joseph to come back like 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 he hadn't missed a like he hadn't missed a beat basically. I mean, it makes sense to me. He knows the team already. He knows the setup, and you know he's he's been solid in his opportunities he has been getting since that tragic day in 2011. So, you know, I'm all for it. Good good for Hildebrand to get that second chance. But um, King on the Connor Daly watch is starting to look a bit bleak here now, isn't it? <laughs> yep, that's an, that's another seat down. That's another seat down. Foyt, if, if you're out there, give the boy a chance, please. The, the kid's so good. He outscored Alexander Rossi in the single point rounds last year. The, the, uh, that guy. The guy who's all hailed as a hero now. <laughs> Connor's his boy. <laughs> Our boy outscored Connor's boy on the single point rounds last year. And yet, who gets all the credit? Rossi. Just because he won some friggin' 500. I don't like this king. <laughs> some friggin' 500. No, I'm not having this. <laughs> Bring back Connor Daly, damn it. We need Daly back. <laughs> Sad face. Foyt, give the man a chance. Seriously, you like the kid. He's really good. Everybody thinks he's really good. Like, <laughs> just give him the chance already. That's all he needs is a chance. Sod your money. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, right. Without further ado, let's get into the world's biggest Motorsport 101 mailbag section. And, um... First of all, before we get started, thanks to everybody that sent them in. You, you you answered the call really, really well on this one. So thanks a bunch, guys. You guys did a great job. We wouldn't have a show this week if it wasn't for you. So very, very grateful for that indeed. So let's get into this ultra-long mailbag edition of Motorsport 101. And uh, starting us off is uh, Marcus, who asks, best races of the year in any formula. Now, I don't want to give all of these away because we're probably going to have some kind of award show around Christmas time for the podcast, but any particular one stand out to you, King? Um, That friggin' 500 that you talked ah, about. The 100th running of the Indianapolis 500 was probably, uh, probably to me... From flag to flag, one of the most entertaining races to watch. Like, it was entertaining throughout. I think there was, like, one little probably low segment in the middle, but for the most part, it was entertaining flag to flag. Yeah, I, I must admit, I did actually rewatch it last week, and it is an incredible It is an incredible 5500. Like, the first 50 or 60 laps are insane, with Hunter Ray and Hinchcliffe literally beating the crap out of each other for the first 50 or so laps. He had the pit lane error. And whatnot, and of course, that ending. We all know what ending we're talking about. Big shout out to the friend of the show, Chris Cook, as well. His 500 indie review was fantastic, by the way. If you haven't seen it already, go out of your way to see it. It was superb. Well worth the watch. Also, he copied my, my catchphrase, not now Sato, in his 2003 season ending review. That was pretty sick. I can't lie. I welled up watching. I was like, he used my <laughs> phrase. I love you, Chris. You're the man. Um, um, for me, let me think. Um, We've had some crazy ones this year in MotoGP as well. My God. Um, MotoGP in Germany was was crazy from flag to flag. That was ridiculous. Assen, including the rain being 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 basically being a red flag halfway through and Jack Miller winning. That was ridiculous as a, as a Grand Prix this year for me. That one stood out to me an awful lot this year. 
Um, go off traffic. What else is it was in there that really stood out to me this year? I think uh, to me another one: uh, Alex Lynn winning GP two in Hockenheim. That was where, pretty crazy. Yes, <laughs> he got disqualified because he because his fire extinguisher went off. That race was sick. <laughs> <laughs> that race was so sick. Uh, Pierre Gasly getting the photo finish for third over the line as well. Winning it literally by a nose and then getting disqualified because his fire extinguisher went off. That was great. But when we we did GP2 on the podcast, that was great. Um, Yeah, that was a great, great race. Sorokin winning twice, like winning despite going through the pit lane twice. That was kind of crazy. That was a great, great race as well. So that's one that sticks out to me as well. Um, And IndyCar, that Texas finish. My (laughs) God. Like, that's the first, that's the first time when, when, when reviewing a race I've gone sort of everything that happened before it that's an automatic 10 um i was like you know what so that finish alone is worth like three 10 out of 10s right there holy crap and by the way if graham ray hall got caught hot dogging at the end there and, and hinchcliffe had beaten him i swear to god it, it'll be the greatest post episode of the podcast we've ever done if hinchcliffe wins the race and then ray hall gets done for, for fist pumping too early. <laughs> oh God, I was getting ready for it, King. I was getting ready for. It. I was go. I was gonna go ballistic. I was like, "Yes, suck it, Rahul. Yes, that's what you get for hot dogging." Uh, no, didn't quite happen. Damn it. But um, those are probably some of our favourites for this year. Um, also, the one time I watched NASCAR this year, that wet race. Um, at Mid Ohio. Oh God, the Xfinity Series wet race at Mid Ohio. Oh my God, that was that was mayhem. Oh my! I, God. I wouldn't put it in top races, but it's definitely the most intriguing races. It, it, intriguing, that, like that's the word you'd use in there. Yes, yes. I would say I wouldn't say best. I would say I would say a lot happened. It was entertaining. It was entertaining. Yes, yes. That's the thing. Um, Joe Ellis asks how badly would F1 drivers do in a stock car series brackets NASCAR BTCC V8 supercars also do any of you watch Speedway short answer on the Speedway one no um, no unfortunately no that, that's the Rebecca James thing get in touch with her on Bike Live um, but uh, how, well, how badly would F1 drivers do in a stock car series well I know King ask Montoya I suppose yeah, or Dario Franchitti, who could never, who never even made it up to the NASCAR Cup Series. He got stuck in what is now the Xfinity Series because he was doing that poorly. PK Junior, fam. PK Junior. <laughs> PK Junior, who couldn't handle the intensity of the competition and decided to attack its competition in the parking lot. Yes, yes, that that politically in tuned dude. Um, <laughs> shout out to him. Um, so, so yeah, probably quite bad is the answer to your question. It's a different set of skills that are required. Simple as that, really. Maybe uh, on the road courses they can do well, though. Maybe, maybe on the, on the road, road courses. courses. Sure, sure. Watkins Glen, sure. Send them around there. They'll be fine. Um, <laughs> Danny Brennan asks, he's got two questions for us. Would you guys consider doing a fantasy draft of the best oval races from NASCAR, IndyCar, and any other series afterwards? 
It would probably have to be a me and Johnson thing because you would probably only draft guys from IndyCar. I'm taking power. Uh, <laughs> taking power. I'm taking power and Helio and sod the rest of you. Um, yeah, that'd probably be an all-American edition. Like you can, you can, I can sit out and you can you can just bring in RJ Connors and maybe somebody else American onto the show instead. Like, hey, I have no problem with that. I just wouldn't be in it <laughs> more than likely because I'd have a terrible hipster-esque team. You, you, you could be the moderator. <laughs> I, I, I could be the judge, the judge, the jury, and the execution. Um, yes. Um, yeah, that, that sounds like a good idea. Hey, maybe we'll do that next year. We do have one more fantasy draft planned for 2016. I will keep that under wraps for, for future reference, but we do have one more planned for the rest of the year. Stay tuned around Christmas time as well, I will say. Um, also, Brendan asks, also, if Trump wins the US election, how much of the NASCAR field will have Trump liveries congratulating the bastard? Um, <laughs> well, let, let's be honest. Well, of the liveries that, like, of the Trump liveries, they're usually on teams that normally run without sponsors because True. they're that desperate for cash. Yeah, that- and. The Trump campaign ain't spending money on shit. No, no, they're 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 they're, they're tight pocketed those gits. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where this it's based on a story that came out earlier this week where I think it was a bunch of proud Trump voters around the NASCAR, and it's like, oh god, this is another really bad look for the series. I mean, it was bad enough earlier this year when CEO Brian France was publicly endorsing Donald Trump um, on behalf of the entire series and it's like no no no, uh, no. it was personal he, he oh, made personal. it clear that it was a personal endorsement but Donald Trump was like no 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 NASCAR's endorsing me <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like as Johnson quite rightly said on Twitter to me on on, on I think it was Sunday he tweeted me this he just said Way to shake your redneck reputation, guys. Um, it's it's not a good look for the series going forward, and that's why I'm probably just not going to watch NASCAR at all, ever, now from here on in, because I don't like it when this, these kind of things get involved, but, you know, one of those things. Way to go, NASCAR. Way to go. <laughs> well, well done, guys. You, you, you tell you didn't put your foot on it in there again. Holy crap. Um, Len, Len, Len Morrison asks, do you think Valentino Rossi is holding back the fact Yamaha team. Um. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. Yes. I'm gonna say no. You're gonna say no. And the reason, you... and the reason why I'm gonna say no here is that he's beaten Lorenzo three years running. That that's the problem. Like Rossi is good after after finishing second at Sepang. Rossi is now guaranteed to finish second in the championship now ahead of Lorenzo. He's beaten Lorenzo three years running. That's actually two actually no, three of the last four years, I should say he's beaten he's beaten Lorenzo. Um but that's just not a good look. And But you, you don't think that has to do with the team having to focus as Rossi as being the number one guy on the team, because there's no world where mm. where they could be open in the garage saying that either Lorenzo's number one or the fact that they could even be equal. That's a good point. The, 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 what, I, what I have to throw out there, though, is, is another interesting thing, though. What's going to happen when Maverick Vinales joins that team next year? Yeah. Things can get messy. Because, <laughs> boy, like, Rossi's on a clock. He's desperate for title number 10 before his contract expires in 2018. Maverick Vinales is the young, he's the young hot shot. 
And to be fair, Maverick's been very classy about Valentino Rossi over the last couple of years, you know, and they've actually worked together a lot in qualifying to piggyback off each other as a little like an upcoming bromance. But um, as Marco Melandri once eloquently put a few years ago, Valentino's your friend until you start winning. Yeah. And um, yeah, Maverick is like the brightest talent to join that Yamaha team since Jorge Lorenzo in 2008. So um, good luck with that one, Valentino. Be careful what you've the monster you've just created and having Maverick alongside you next year. Because honestly, I think he's going to beat him next year. Just, just throwing that out there. Um, so yeah, good luck with that, Valentino. I don't think it's totally on him. I think Yamaha's always had a love affair with Valentino because he's won him all those titles. Like Lynn Jarvis goes home and eats at night because of Valentino <laughs> Rossi. Like. Like Lynn Jarvis has won seven titles with Yamaha of him with him as team boss, and four of them have come from Valentino. And you know Lorenzo ended up coming through for them quite nicely as well, to say the least. But I'm not entirely convinced that it's it's Valentino Rossi because both of them just want to win real bad, and both of them hate yeah. him, and both of them hate each other. I think. I think it would be unfair, and this is coming from me like a big Valentino Rossi hater, so to speak, but I think it would be unfair to label Rossi as the guy holding back the team when you could equally say the same about about Jorge Lorenzo in his time in there as well. I mean, you could also say, you know, Rossi hasn't won a championship since 2009. That's a good point. It's <laughs> a good point. Yeah, there's 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 lots of ways of looking at this, and it's it's hard because like the biggest reason Lorenzo is leaving that team, contrary to what the press is telling, or what he's telling the press, is because it became a Rossi show in in that Yamaha in that Yamaha paddock, and they celebrated Rossi being a contender way harder than Lorenzo during any of his free world titles that he won for the team in 2010, 12, and 15. So, yeah, there's a lot of different ways of looking at this. It's complicated, to say the <laughs> least, because this is like, Yamaha pretty much assembled the greatest team in MotoGP history by having Rossi and Lorenzo together on the one roof, and yet those two names have torn each other apart over the last eight or nine years. So... There's, like I said it before, I would love somebody to make a documentary on their years together at Yamaha, and that would be very, very interesting to put together. Get Timmy Moody on that, quite frankly. <laughs> like, he'd be great for something like this. Um, get the guys that made Hitting the Apex on that. I, I, I would pay good money to see that in a cinema. Like, like Yamaha, the Rossi years, that would have been really interesting um, because that, that team is a complicated dynamic, to say the least, when you've got two of the greatest riders in history under one roof and the tension and the split that it caused in that Yamaha paddock is going to be really really intriguing for someone to put together as a docufilm I'd pay good money to see that um, anyway Vikesh the Rainmaster Rainmaster asks what do Formula E need to do to grow the brand it seems like the first couple of years were really popular but the series has only faded since now I'm not sure that's true, given the amount of factories that have joined ship. But I can't lie, the buzz around Formula E... See what I did there? Um, the buzz just doesn't seem like it's there for Season 3 like it was for 1 and 2, King. Is that fair to say? Uh, it's fair to say. Like, the cars have gotten quicker. 
like n- noticeably quicker. But if you're a casual fan who only glances in and out, it seems like the series is more of the same. Not this dramatic push and progress that they kind of advertise. They, they didn't straight out say that the cars are going to get faster real quick, but they kind of implied that that was going to be a thing. That the cars are going to get faster, battery life was going to get longer, and it seems to be uh, a longer process than implied. Yeah, I mean, they've only delayed a lot of these technological advancements for the series since the series inception, where they were talking about more power in series three, but that's that's going to be more like season five now, where they're going to have more power and, you know, less development than they've already foretold in things like... Um, like, like the drivetrains, the gearboxes, and things like that. It's taken longer than anticipated, I think, to um, get that into play. I think... You know, the locations are okay on paper, but it's, it's going to start to cause problems. I mean, look at the New York for next year. We talked about that before where, you know, that's now confirmed. Oh, yeah. yep. News thing. Yep. News thing. Confirm that the clash will happen. It's unavoidable now. Yep. The, the, the New York doubleheader will now clash with the WEC 6000 and Nürburgring next year. So, uh, like, there's going to be a lot of empty holes in Even that- though it's less of a problem now since Audi pulled out, so... Yeah, so Lucas Degrassi's safe, I guess. That's a plus. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's good news, but Bremi will be going to Toyota again because Bremi's already come out and said he will be going to the WEC with Toyota as his priority um, instead of Formula E with, with, with Edam. So, and that is a big because that's potentially 50-plus points out of the window for Bremi's title push. Like, yeah. like Lucas doesn't have to worry about that anymore, so... Lucas DeCrassi just became, like, landslide favorite to win Series 3 now. Uh, landslide. And, and that's another thing. Like, the the quality of racing has not matched Season 1 since Season 1. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. It hasn't because Edams has gotten really, really good. And, I mean, look at look at Buenos Aires last year where Wemi very nearly won that race from the back. Like, like that was... That, that was an entertaining race, but it kind of made a mockery of the series at the same time. And... Like a lot of the stories regarding Formula E in terms of PR have not been positive for the last year or so. Now talking about not not even the last the last month. How how mm-hmm. we have Alejandro Agag and uh, Jean Tat straight up harassing a journalist from the South China Morning Morning Times. Yeah, what, 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 what were they harassing her about again? Like that they weren't that she wasn't promoting the race. That this journalist from the South China Morning Post wasn't, you know, trying to promote the race and market the race in a way that would make people want to show up when that's not a journalist's job to do. No, I, no, no, I'm a journalist. I'm not here to market your product for you, you assholes. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Um, yeah, that's just not a good look at all. But yeah, again, you're right. The PR regard in this series has not been good for, for quite some time now, and... This double header is is a, is a really really bad look for the series now. So, you know they're gonna have a lot of empty names like Bwemi, like Bird, like like uh, Sarazan that are gonna be over back there for the WEC more unlikely, as instead of being in the form of the repaddock for that for that double header in New York, your big New York debut in Brooklyn is gonna have a bunch of your best drivers not in it. So um yeah, not good. But not um, good. but so so King, to answer the man's question, what do you do to, to grow the brand at this point? Oh, Where do you I start? Say, somehow 
make like I think it's just down to quality of the racing. Like I think it's like you just need the racing to be close. Maybe the cars be faster. That's it. Everything else will fall in line after that. Like the other problems, you realistically can't fix. You can't make. You can't make what Alejandro Agaga and John Todd be more friendly to the press or the public. You can't do that. No, that's not going to happen. Um, not unless Katie Fairman sweet talks him, <laughs> <laughs> or you in this case, King. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm kidding. Or am I? Uh, but, oh, uh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> Evan, if you're listening, start the fan fiction. Um, <laughs> Rhino GT4, big fan of the show, asks... Um, also, check him out on YouTube, by the way. Really great guy. Um, do you think the P1 class will still be after a decade as it seems to me to be starting a decline in terms of number of cars? I base this around what happened at the end of the American Le Mans series before it merged with Grand Nam and the complete lack of P1 entries. Um, so obviously it's talking about obviously Audi quitting the WEC and obviously the LMP1 class is now going to be what? Just just Toyota and Porsche from a factory standpoint. Um, yeah. it's, is, is this the beginning of the end for the P1 class maybe? Uh, I want to say there there has been darker days for the P1 class, where hmm. the time where it was only Audi, like just before Peugeot showed up. Oh God, yeah, that's a good point. Like Audi were just winning everything, but they were competing against literally no one at the time before Peugeot and Pescarolo came up as well. They, I was like to call them those really bright cars you could drive on Gran Turismo <laughs> Four, um, basically. But um. I'm. I mean, I'm not. A, I'm not a big WEC guy. So, like, I struck. I'm. I kind of struggle on this aspect. But, I mean, I don't think Porsche is going to be quitting anytime soon because, I mean, it's it's their series now. Basically, they could. They could. There's no reason why they can't dominate the next three or four years at least in the WEC because they have built an incredible car. When they have. I mean, they still have great brand guys in there, like like Tanya. They can put in there at any moment. They had Nico Hulkenberg last year for the for Le Mans. Werner Weber's retiring, but they still have Timo Bernhardt in there as well. They, they they've got a great outfit around them. There's no reason why they can't keep pushing forward. Toyota, you know, they've they've again they've got names. You know, they've they they had their great win in in Shanghai. A home uh, they had the home win, which was really cool for them. They've still got great jobs like Kobayashi, like Anthony Davidson, Sebastian Buemi, like. The other two could really focus hard on this now because there's one less shark in the waters for them because Audi are Audi is basically Mr. Le Mans going forward or has been for a long time now, and that's no longer going to be a thing. So maybe they can focus on that. I, I mean, King could... Yeah, could I, I would say, like, compared to what we were expecting, like, everyone made it seem like we were heading into a golden age because it made it seem like we were yeah. going to have four manufacturers. We were going to have Toyota, Porsche, Audi, and Nissan. Now they're all, now half of them are no longer in the series. Thanks a bunch, <laughs> Nissan. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe BMW can, can, can come back. Come back, BMW. Your cars were really cool. Um, maybe even though uh, even though BMW said, yeah, BMW are not coming into LMP1. They're gonna do Formula E and they're gonna do a factory GT program. Like GT is stacked on stacked on. Oh god, yeah. oh god, yeah, it's ridiculous. That, that I will give them like, oh my god, the GT classes are amazing. Holy shit! But um, yeah, from an LMP1 standpoint, this could be the start of. Um, some not so good days, hopefully. Um, so let's have a look here. Um, 
Uh, I've got a list. Okay, here we go. Evan Burns asks, um, worst liveries in F1, IndyCar, and NASCAR like ever? Got, got, like ever? Got, got, anyone, got any really bad ones to stick out to you? Oh, oh God. I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I didn't like the brawn in 2009. Me neither. I thought that shit was ugly. I, I don't care. <laughs> Like it's like it, the fact it was pretty much sponsorless was bad enough. It was a really pretty car, but it just had a really awful livery because like the because yeah. white and fluorescent yellow just doesn't go. It just doesn't. It looks terrible. It's like someone's writing out my old uni notes again. It's 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 it, no no. I, I I'm not taking this. Um, Prost's days when they ran the split livery with the zipper. Um, oh god. That like that, that's when I was a kid. What I first got into F one, and that was oh, that was all sorts of bad. Oh man, that was that was ugh, that was awful, 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 awful. Um, I know Chris Cook. If he was answering, he he said he he would he hated like the the Verizon like liveries that they had on Montoya and Powell's car this year. Like the sil- I feel the exact opposite. <laughs> I love the, the the silver. I don't care what anyone says. Well, that was badass. But he got Cook hated that silver. Um, I'm trying to think what else out there. When Paris Hilton owned the Moto Three team, that was really bad. Like like it was like blue. It was pink. And it was white. It was really bad. Like Maverick Vinales made his debut on that team. We've, we've, we've talked about it before on Bike Live, where we like that was not a pretty looking car and livery out there ever. Although Maverick apparently fancied the crap out of her, yeah, which is what was also <laughs> quite funny. Problem is, it was only fifteen back then. <laughs> <laughs> bit of a bit of a roadblock. Um, if I can't lie, um, I tried to think of what else. Like MotoGP's had some pretty bad ones over the years. Um, like the current Aprilia one, I think is really bad with the green in there. I think it's just, I think it's ugly. Um, I know there was a really, really bad Yamaha, not necessarily, but a really bad Honda livery out there that Casey Stoner rode on. I think it was at Aragon. It, they, there was a special one, and it was it was like somebody had written it out in pencil. Um, I'm, I'm trying to Google it right now. Um, give me a minute. I'm just I'm trying to find it, but I know it was really, really... Ah, I found it! Hang on, I'm going <laughs> to try and stick this in the Skype chat, King, so you can see what I'm talking about okay. here. Um... It's the worst MotoGP livery I think I've ever seen. Um, is it in there? Hang on, have a look. Hang on, one sec. Uh, da, 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 da. This is real professional, you guys. Real professional. Um, hang on, I mean, let me just copy the link in there so you can see what I'm talking about. That's, that's probably easier. There you go. Check that one out. Mm. It's, it's okay, a- let's see what we got here. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm getting at here? You're like... Bright yellow, random, just white star. Why? <laughs> Apparently, it was, I think it was for some charity, so I don't want to completely hate on it, but it's so <laughs> bad. It's so bad. It, it, it's like someone had written it out in crayon. It, it, it was... <laughs> And it didn't help. I think I'm pretty sure Casey Stoner won that Grand Prix, which didn't exactly make it any easier on the old brand. Let's put it that way. But um, yeah, that was uh, not good. Any other particularly bad F1 ones you can remember, King? Um, uh, any particularly bad F1? No, usually like F1 liveries are generally just Honda plain 2008. And- on the 2008. Oh, the Earth. The, oh. the dark blue Earth livery. As Chris Cook said, that's a really bad way of hiding the fact you've got no sponsors. 
like that was oh that was so ugly oh my god um that horn delivery was so bad um i tried to think what else was in there um let me think um that's about it, really. Like, F1 doesn't normally have bad liveries, really, to be honest with you. Like, they're, they're more like just boring. Yeah, they're more just like boring and corporate, um, so to speak. Um, but, uh, yeah, for me, not particularly. Like, they're not, they're, they, don't, they don't normally get it really badly wrong unless it's for a really bad PR reason or something like that. Um, shout out to Aprilia for the, for the, for the next upcoming MotoGP round with their all red livery. It's, it's, it's terrible. Um, it's so red it makes Ducati blush. Um, but yeah, not, but not great. Not great in the slightest. Um, let's have a look here. Let's have a look here. Okay, um, so if you're like Brian Shadow Wolf asks, I'm not going to go for all of his questions because some of them were, were not great. But um, he asked me, Bernie has told you to dull up the F1 calendar after an un- quote unquote exciting season. Name five of your least favorite F1 circuits of all time and give reasons for selecting them. <laughs> oh dear, King, we we, we got to kill F1. What do you pick? Oh, we got to kill F one. Okay, Yognam, get 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 that back on there. We need more Korea in F one. Clearly, said no one ever. They're <laughs> going back to Korea. Yognam was an awful track. Good lord, it was like they tr- it was like a Frankenstein's monster of like the worst elements of Tilkadromes. Like two really long straights in sector one, a really annoying slow section in sector two, and then sector three is basically like 90 degree right angled street circuit bends. It was awful. Awful, awful, awful. I hated it. It should have been really good on paper. Oh, it doesn't help that you put it in the middle of a really, really dull part of Korea and the city you were you were talking about building around it never materialized. <laughs> yeah, Korea's got to be on there. I don't care what you tell me. <laughs> yeah, Korea's got to be on there. Oh, God, okay. Got to think of a circuit to put on here. Like, the problem is you never remember the bad circuits, unless they're, like, horrendously bad. Yeah, like, oh, my God. Like, I'm trying to think, like, Valencia wasn't that bad for me. Like, like I, I actually kind of liked Valencia. It wasn't a nice spot. You know, the location was nice. And, you know, it, it wasn't the best track in the world, but I don't think it was all that bad either. Um, I like the, the location. It kind of helped. Um, Long Beach. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Not Long Beach. Anything but Long Beach, King. Uh, but yeah, that, I'm fine with that. Long Beach, Long Beach, you can come right back in in this calendar in this era of dirty air and no overtakes. Let's be yeah, and like literally, I'm pretty sure all my picks are going to be shitty F1 American street circuits from the 80s and 70s. Detroit, anybody? <laughs> Detroit, Phoenix, New Jersey. Well, they never actually raced at New Jersey. They almost did, then gave up, and IndyCar took it. Then had, like, the biggest IndyCar races of all time there. Yeah, that, that, that that's, that's kind of true. I can't argue with that. Um, the, the thing is, that's, that's kind of the problem. Like, a lot of the bad F1 circuits are, all, are already on the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good look. So you can't, like, you can't make it worse when they're already there. That's that, like, that's kind of the problem here. Um, I've never liked Bahrain, to be honest with you. I think Bahrain is dull. I've always said that. 
Like it was like I mean, that was even worse. The 2010 layout where they made the track bigger and longer. Oh, that track was awful. Like I remember driving in F1 2010 when, when it was when it was the season opener, and oh no, that like Bahrain Oof. 2010 version was the worst. <laughs> The absolute worst. It was slow. It was boring. You couldn't pass anywhere. Um, no, I, like like the new version at least is fast and it looks kind of pretty at night. Like that, that's that's the only reason why it isn't on the list, Chris Jericho style. Um, <laughs> let me think. What else is on? Like, what, on the current calendar, Austria's got to go. I do not like Austria. I've never liked Austria. It's not conducive for F1. It's a really good MotoGP circuit if you're not a Ducati. But oh, uh, oh, there are two circuits. There are two circuits I need to add. Go on. One, the Le Mans Bugatti circuit. Oh no, no, no! That's <laughs> and even- two. How no. do I? How did I forget this American Street circuit? Caesar's Palace. Ah. <laughs> Where they literally replaced the paradise that was Watkins Glen with Caesar's Palace. They paved over paradise and put a parking lot and made an F1 circuit. Somewhere Chris Cook has just died. <laughs> Cook is dead. Matt is on life support. Sorry, you guys, if you're listening to this and you just found out now that, yeah, we mentioned Caesar's Palace again. Yeah, we're bringing back Caesar's Palace. We're racing in Las Vegas' parking lot. Oh, 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 night, Kendra. Hello. <laughs> She's here to say goodnight. <laughs> say hello to all the podcasters out there, Kendra. Hello. Oh, God. Get it, get to bed, get to bed. Too excited. <laughs> yeah, she's going to bed now. Bless her. Okay. Yeah. W- would the obvious be a bad choice? The the, the Berlin high, Highway Circuit, where there's two straights with two corners at the end of them. One of the corners was like a 45 like a 45 degree bank curve oh, with shit. like no guardrail at the top oh dear god oh god also- where your only or your only runoff was the sky jesus take the wheel <laughs> <laughs> also monza monza has to go like like like, Mo- like i said it before and i will say it again that monza is the worst track on the current calendar i don't care what any of you nostalgic whoa, 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 tell whoa, me. now we put the circuits back on the calendar <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Make Monza the season opener. Sonic. <laughs> Go on. Make it the crown and glory right there. Make, make it double points. Put Monza on as a season opener and make it a really big deal. Go on. Have Monza on there. <laughs> Be my guest. But, uh, there you go. There's your way of making seasons work. Also, shout out. Um, to also, you mean, He also asked a couple more interesting questions. He goes... In your opinion, will IndyCar start to expand into international markets again? Brackets, <laughs> Surface Paradise return. <laughs> no. No. Roger Penske be, doesn't want it. I'm going to be straight up and honest, like, no. IndyCar needs to focus here in North America first before overseas expand. Like, there's still parts of the country that still don't have IndyCar races, so... Yeah, so, I agree. It's an American series. It's a North American series. Focus on what you know. You're not going to get fans to turn up in the United <laughs> Kingdom for an IndyCar race. It's just not going to happen. Um, the audience just isn't there for it in this country or in countries like like China. Like they were teasing about a, a preseason race in China, and I'm like, who's going to turn out for that? No oh, one. The only, re- the only reason that happened because like the street circuit in Beijing, they had like. Was it this or was it a different series? The street circuit in Beijing they had, uh, it had a hairpin that was too tight for the cars. 
too tight for an indie car holy crap uh, that that that's crazy given we already went to sao paulo not too long ago and they had a tight as hell final corner um shut no, up, as in like tight as in like it was a direct 180 hairpin it the cars literally would not be, have been able to make the corner but king they could have handbrake turned it and it'd be really cool for the fans to watch <laughs> think about it no <laughs> Yeah, I agree though. Like, no, no real indie, no real indie car viability outside of North America for me. Stick to stick to the United States, Canada, and Mexico. That's where your market is. Maybe Brazil, but that's about it. Um, uh, final question: You've been told to replace David Croft and Martin Brundle for F1 telecasts. Who do you pick to replace them? Don't you dare say Katie Hargett. I'm not going to say Katie Hargett. We've burned down that bridge already. It's smoldering smoldering in the corner as we speak. Like, part of me is like, oh, I I want John John Hinda. I like John Hinda. But it would be like, like, he'll finally have to commentate on F1. What is he going to say? How about how bad the series is? Because he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a WEC guy now. You know. Um, for me, I'd be totally okay with Jack Nichols getting getting the proper full-time gig. He's a very good commentator, in, in all fairness to him. He's done a great job with Formula E with Dario. Um, Frank Eaties, who's been great over there on Formula E side of things. Um, God, who else is out there? I think if you put Toby Moody out there, I think he'd find a way to make it work. I think he's a fantastic commentator. He's the god of MotoGP commentators, quite frankly. Him and Julian Ryder made my childhood when I was a MotoGP fan out there for, for the days of British Euro Sport. And also, I think Gregory Haynes would be great out there. He does World Superbikes right now for, for British Euro Sport, and he's awesome. Um, so I'll, those are my nominees I'm throwing in the list. Got anybody else, gang? <laughs> Anyone? Anyone at all? No? Is that our internet gone? Oh, crap. <laughs> like, oh, there you I, go. I, yeah. I don't really have anyone else in particular I'd like, to be honest. Uh, also, like Shadow Force said, I'd pick Neil Crompton and Alan Jones because I'm Australian. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, man. I know, like Alan Jones gets a really bad rap over there in Australia already, so that that would be interesting to say the least. Um, Henry Chapman asks, um, "Do you think Inter Lagos is a better season ender than Abu Dhabi?" Probably, I would say. I think Abu Dhabi looks better. It does look better, but I think Inter Lagos has the um unpredictability of weather on its side <laughs> that's true and I think that could make it a little bit more interesting in the long run because Interlagos can get wet not so much now because the race is in November as opposed to March back in the old days when it was right, right at the top of the calendar I, I miss those days I like Brazil being up near the top as opposed to near the bottom but because um, you've got more unpredictable weather that way but uh, yeah I think Brazil's probably a little bit better because of the fact support and the Brazilian nature of F1 and you know the unpredictability of the weather in, in that part of the world I think it's a little bit better than Abu Dhabi which looks pretty and doesn't really have much else going for it but um, you know that, at least that's my take on it anyway um, he also asks if you were the marketing department for Formula 1 and were trying to sell it how would you 
How would you do it? Which race would you use to sell the sport and what countries would you focus on the most? Ooh, that is <laughs> how do you sell Formula One? Oh dear God. Um, have fun with that. Um, f- <laughs> um f- <laughs> where do you start? You, you, you gotta focus on Great Britain because that's probably your most dedicated hardcore audience for F1 right there. And that's not me, that's not me being biased saying that it's a Lewis Hamilton sport now. Um, that's just how it is. Thanks a bunch, Sky Sports, you twats. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean. Where would you even start on that one, King? Like, do you, do, you, do you try and break into America again? Hardcore this time? Get more Taylor Swift in for the concerts? <laughs> nah, you, you got you gotta like I, I I'm biased. I'm American. I want to say focus on America, but you gotta focus on Europe. And it's not you gotta focus on a on the continent. You can't focus on Britain. It's, it's basically if you like Formula One in Britain, you like Formula One. If you don't like it, you don't like it. True that. See, are you saying throw America under the bus here and just say stop pushing the sport in the States? No, I'd say... I wouldn't say stop pushing it. I'd say the continent's a bigger priority. That's fair. That's fair. Um, Also, you asked one more question. Do you think the circuit of Wales will ever happen? Short answer, Mm. no. Long Long answer, if you like sheep racing... Long answer, fuck no. Um, King, you're terrible. If you like sheep racing, holy shit. Um, My God. Um, Seriously, I doubt it. That circuit's gone through so many foul-ups at this point that I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, it's it's a nice idea in theory, but um, MotoGP going to Finland, <laughs> Finland, <laughs> Finland. Well, yeah, I, I Wales just, ain't happening. Yeah, Wales is just no. I just don't think that's going to be a thing. Um, at least that's what at least that's my opinion anyway. Um, obvious question. Oh yeah, but the guy who said Romo asked us about future seat, single seat canopies. I'm just gonna say what I've always said. The canopy's great, but it's got one big problem. You'd have to completely redesign the cars. Good luck with that. Yeah, um, good, good luck on getting Mercedes to agree on wholesale change of the regulations. Yeah, when they're winning right now, a lot. Um, that's kind of a problem. But, um, yeah. Switching over to Facebook real quick. Joseph Hudson asks, Do you think Rosberg will be champion at the end of the weekend? Game? End of the weekend. Uh, does, does he win it on Sunday by winning the Brazilian Grand Prix? I'm going to say no. I, I think it goes the distance. Yeah, I'm going to say no. Like, it, it's Lewis Hamilton fans are going to have so much ammunition because Nico Rosberg is probably going to win the title in the most boring or controversial way possible. If he wins the title on Sunday, it's probably because Lewis doesn't finish the race. Yeah, like, for those that are slow on the math, it's as dead simple as this. If Rosberg wins, he is champion. It is as simple as that. Um, but that's not probably that. I mean, that's probably the easiest way it can be done. If Hamilton DNFs, again, Rosberg's automatically champion. Um, so that's probably the more likely outcome because, again, Hamilton's been on fire the last two or three rounds despite 
Mexico, we probably shouldn't have won in the first place, given that turn one, um, which I've not I've not spoken about on the air because I wasn't on last week's show. But fuck the stewards, basically. <laughs> to, to keep it brief, I'm going to keep it as simple as that. Fuck the stewards. Yeah, thanks a bunch, you guys. Wait, wait, wait for making that Grand Prix an even bigger joke than it normally is in Mexico. Thanks a bunch, wankers. Right, but um, yeah, for me personally, I just think that um. Yeah, I just don't. I just don't think it's going to happen. I, 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 I think Hamilton is Hamilton's been on good oh, form. Oh, breaking news! Breaking news! One oh, minute ago, oh. Connor Daly to race for AJ Foyt in twenty seventeen. Yes! <laughs> yes! Woo! Oh yes! God! Connor Daly's got a seat. Connor Daly's got a seat. Yes! 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 I'm so happy. Okay, according to David Mulser at uh, motorsport.com, Connor Daly will be competing at AJ Foyt Racing next year. According to multiple motorsport.com sources, we understand the 24-year-old from Noblesville, Indiana, has not yet signed the deal, but that an agreement has been reached and he will partner with Carlos Munoz throughout the year at a revised AJ Foyt Racing team. Munoz and Daly, that is a sick team. (laughs) That is a team. Yes. Yes! Yes, 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 yes. Oh my god. Um that that'll be lit. That would be so fire. Oh my god. Daily! Daily! Yes! <laughs> Finally! Oh, I'm I'm so happy right now. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm so glad that happened on the air. <laughs> you got a live reaction. Oh my god. Yes. I, it literally it's like, oh, let me just check motorsport.com and it's like one minute ago this story. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, I'm so happy. Uh, uh, I just, I just literally just tweeted this out with the, with the quote, and I quote, "Here we fucking go!" Uh, uh, and I remember, Foyt's going to be on Chevy's next year. Yep. Yes, this is lit. I love it. This is amazing. Oh my god! Live reaction to, 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 to finding out that we're going to be here. Daly and Munoz. Oh my god. That's, that's a team. That's a team. It's lit. <laughs> oh, I, I, I need to let this sink in. <laughs> I need to let this oh sink in. Oh my god. This is a, this is awesome. This is actually awesome. Uh, Foyt, you're a genius, bruh. What a job. That is definitely an upgrade on friggin' Sato and Hawksworth. Holy shit. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, well, what must have been the major selling point? Yeah, we're, we're racing with Chevys next year, Connor. So. In! Where do I sign? <laughs> oh my god. I'm dying right now. I'm not going to make it to the end of this podcast. <laughs> For. Those who don't know, Connor Daly made his debut at the AJ Foyt team back in 2013 at the Indianapolis 500, where he finished 20. Yeah, he finished 22nd at that 500. <laughs> oh my God! Yes, 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 yes. You know, it's like it's, you know, for me, it's like for me right now, I'm like JK when he was back on Top Gear the second time round, and he was <laughs> and he and he was desperate to be do so desperate to beat Simon Cowell. I was like, yes. Come on! <laughs> oh my god, this is amazing. Yes, 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 yes. God, Connor Daly, he's still here! Yes! He's still here. Thank god. 
Uh, <laughs> oh my god, have you heard this breaking story from motorsport.com as well regarding Felipe Massa? Apparent, no. Apparently, um, Massa has revealed the verbal exchange of Fernando Alonso that took place on the starting grid before the Mexican Grand Prix that cleared the air following their US Grand Prix collision. Um, apparently... Massa said to Alonso, and I quote, you are a son of a bitch, but I like you. (laughs) 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 Oh, and Brennan's just discovered the tweet. He just goes, oh my God, yes, get the fuck in. Huge congrats, Connor Daly. (laughs) Yes, yes, we're so happy. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh yeah, that's that's fantastic. Let me breathe and let me finish the rest of this of this mailbag. There's not many questions left. Um, whew, breathe. Um, Connor, <laughs> Connor Pink asks, "What got you into your favorite form of motorsport?" For me, in F1, I got into it because of the sad reason of a girl I fancied watched F1. Connor, you're a brave man. I will give you that. Holy shit. I, I, that, that's, that's dedication right there. Yeah, you, you got in way too deep, fam. <laughs> that's, that's... That's great. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah. Um, whoa. Um, me... It was my dad for the most part. For me, it was my dad. Um, he got me into Formula One because of Michael Schumacher in the late nineties, and it was MotoGP because he was a massive Valentino Rossi fan right from the start. Um, so for me, it was my dad. He got me into a lot of sports. He got me into American football. He got me into motorsport. He got me into all sorts of shit as a child, and it's, it's just kind of unfortunately stuck with me since then. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of those things that's just kind of stuck with me. What about you, King? How did you, how did, how did you oh, get sucked God. into this shit? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I've always been a Mercedes fanboy. <laughs> I, I don't know how, but like even back, I guess like the first. The first driver I was really a fan of was Mika Hakkinen. So mm-hmm. back the the West McLaren Mercedes days, and then through there, through the Mercedes days, Lewis Hamilton's early seasons, then the Mercedes factory team finally came back. Yeah. Then I got on that bandwagon, and now we're here to where we are today. On a on a on a terrible podcast with me. <laughs> it's I'm so sorry, King. <laughs> If anyone asks, it was my idea. Um, okay. <laughs> but um, that is a thing. So, yeah, that's how we got into it. Um, Nathan Green says, asks two questions. I'm trying to get into NASCAR more. God help you. Can you guys please explain the chase in detail and why we can't just have a standard championship? Now, King, uh, okay. hear me out on this one. I think I got this one. Oh, no, I, I think for for the purposes of clarity, I should explain this. No, How um, much time do we have? Um, well, we're, what, an hour 30 into this already? God, sod it. Go, go, go all the way in. Jeez. Go all the way in. Okay. Well, the chase for the Sprint Cup was created back in 2004. Oh, my God. 2004? Damn. Jesus. It's been a long time. Well, basically, NASCAR ran into the problem where the moment the football season started, no one would care about NASCAR anymore because usually the championship was decided by then. Mm-hmm. Even though they had like a good 12, they, they were only two thirds of the way through the season. Yikes. That might be so, a problem. 
And I think colloquially they also called it the Matt Kenseth rule because Matt Kenseth won a championship without ever winning a race. Yikes. Again, that can be a bit of that. That's not a very nice perceived impression. <sighs> yeah, where, where NASCAR was so much about consistency that you could win a championship uh, months before the season was over without winning a race. Yeah, so you thought, okay, let's have a playoff series where basically somebody almost has to win to win this championship now, right? Is that the long short of it? Uh, now it is. Originally, the chase was just a very simple playoff format where they went through all the past seasons. They went, they said, okay, no one has ever won the championship from lower than 10th place. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to reset the points so the top 10 drivers in the points at, when the playoffs start are grouped together and bunched together. Right. And then just have a simple 10-race playoff. Whoever scores the most points at the end of 10 races is your champion. Yeah. And now I think... I think So what, So what? what's changed the, with the format since then? Okay. The format now... Now it's no longer the top 10 in points get in. It's the race winners from the season get in. Plus, you fill out the remaining, I think it's now 16 drivers are in the chase now. Yeah. So the remaining spots are filled with, you know, the top people in points who aren't already in the chase. Yeah. So, and as long as they're in the top 30, right? Yeah. If, if you're a race winner, you need to be in the top 30 in points. Right. So, okay. That... Uh, that's the long and the short of it. So to answer uh, Nathan's first question, why can't we just have a standard championship? You can't have a standard championship, as I described earlier. The season could end months beforehand. Like, the championship could end months beforehand with, with someone who won the championship without even winning a race. Yeah, that's kind of a problem. Okay, fair enough. Um, oh, I, uh, I haven't finished describing the chase. I only described on. how you get into the chase. Go on, Yeah. <laughs> The chase format now, it's a win and advance system. Right. So I think it's four rounds now. First round, you know, all 16 drivers compete for, I think they eliminate 16 down to 12. So you win one of the four races you advance. Other than that, you need to be in the, you need to advance on points. Again, down to eight. Win, you would, you advance. Besides that, you advance on points. Four. This is where it gets difficult. Okay. Because because there are four races in each round. If there are four different winners, you could literally can't advance to the finale on points. You would have to win. If you get a repeat winner, you can't advance on points. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the finale is a one-race playoff for the championship between the four guys who made it into the finale. So, highest-finishing driver wins the championship in the finale, which I feel to be the most BS thing in sports. I hate that. that like, I'm not even a NASCAR fan, and that sounds freaking terrible. <laughs> like, so, so, yeah, if, you, if your engine blows up, sucks for you, you lost the championship that year. Yep. 
Um, that would be all, all kinds of, oh dear, that would be all kinds of just terrible. And Like, a lot of people, including myself, well, actually, I like the chase to begin with. It, the original chase. A lot of people who hate this chase and who always hated chase actually now that we're separated from it from like a few years now kind of miss the old chase. Right. So they, they, they kind of miss the whole, um, you know, just simple 10 race playoff. Most points wins. No, because that's like that's basically the the British Superbike Showdown format, right? There, where they card off the top six after yeah. after Alton Park, and I've got my problems with that series too, for what it's worth. Um, I've explained it before on the podcast. Um, same deal, really, where you get podium credit, so you get you get you get a small amount of credit for your previous rounds, but after the second round of Alton Park for the final seven races, only the top six can, are eligible to win the championship. They have their point total reset to. 500 so that nobody else can get involved it's mathematically impossible for anybody else to win it and then they get five points for every win three points for every second and then one point for every third in the previous rounds and and then it's a straight seven race championship showdown and then shaky burn won this year's championship good for him but um it basically meant where one one crash would ruin your championship in the in the show now. So that's, that's what happened with Leon Haslam. He finished, I think, 29 points behind Shaky Byrne, and it was the one DNF at race one at Donington Park that pretty much cost him the whole title because Shaky won that race, and it cost Haslam 25 points. So yeah. it ruined the entire championship format right there and then because Haslam had one DNF to his name in that showdown format. But again, the people that are, people that promote the series are like, oh, that's great! It means that you know, <laughs> riders will make less mistakes. I'm like, no, you're missing the point here. Um, yeah, it's it's not a good look for the series at all. Um, for that, for yeah, that to well, be like NASCAR, it made sense because, like in NASCAR, like n- no one statistically outside the top set ha- had ever won the championship, so it made sense to make the cutoff ten because, like, it was statistically impossible to win outside the top ten. Anyway, right, right, exactly. So, yeah, that's just no, not a great look there either. Quite yeah, frankly, now, now because the NASCAR field has shrunk from um, forty-three to forty, and now they expanded the playoff to sixteen. It's like anyone can win the championship, basically. Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 good, right? Right? No. Um, so yeah, that's that's a that's a thing. So yeah, that's the chase format in a nutshell. Basically, hope it didn't take too long to digest. Um, also, question asks: Does Formula One have a racing issue where over a ninety-minute to two-hour race, the margin can be between ten and thirty seconds on average, but in other championships, both of shorter and longer races, the margin of victory is usually less than a second, and the racing is usually really good. For example, Barthes 12 Hours, V8 Supercars, Blancpain GT, IMSA, etc. And does this make people less likely to want to watch or want to watch F1? Again, short answer, no. Um, because trust me, if people didn't want to watch F1, they'd have quit a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm on two sides of fence of this. One, like, if V8 Supercars... And most sports car series have balance of performance. I mean, you probably heard Johnson talk about this before. That's why they're so close. F1 does not have this. Though, historically, this is the closest F1 has ever been. Like, having margins that small is rare. 
Yeah. And F1 has like, always been sport though, dominance. You re- like, though you really can't stand on the argument, oh, this is the best it's ever been because F1 has been so terrible in the past. Yeah, like, it's it's not great. It's just great for F1 standards. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's just not pretty. So, for me, yeah, um, kind of a problem. But, um, yeah, for me, if people didn't want to watch F1 because it's competitive, they'd have quit a long time ago, quite frankly, because F1, we've been a little bit spoilt in recent years. We've had title fights in 2014, 12, 10, 9, 8, um, 7. Which is, like, insane. Yeah, 7, <laughs> when- 6, 5, Three. When you think about the title fights in the 70s and 80s, basically the big title fights were 76, uh, 82 between uh, Lauda and Prost, and then not really another one until, I think, 85. And then you have to wait another couple of years till you have the 88 Prost-Senna duels. Yeah, so we've been, we've been really, really spoilt in recent years when it comes to title fights. It's a shame that the races have not been the best on paper, individually maybe, and the action's not the best, but I do understand where people are coming from where that's concerned. However, in terms of relevancy, in terms of title fights, in terms of competitive championships in recent times, we're very, very lucky indeed. So, um... The, the, like we've had title fights maybe 10 out of the last 15 years or so. So we've been very lucky in that regard. So take it for what it's worth, I would say. Um, Brandon Glenn says, what was your first exposure to motorsport and what was the first race you attended in person? Mm. First exposure to motorsport, I'd probably have to say late 90s kart with Alex Sonardi. Oh, God, yeah, that's awesome. For me... Yeah. British Grand Prix 1999 when Schumacher broke both his legs. That's damn. That's, damn, that's a big way to get it. Yeah, that, that was my first real F1 memory I can actually remember. It was that one where, where Schumacher broke both his legs um, at the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. That was a big one. The first one I could actively remember. Um, yeah, probably like the the one that I could actively actively remember was probably the 96 season finale where Zanardi pulls off the pass. That's yeah, that's pretty legendary. Um, uh, first race I attended, I've, I've I've been unlucky. I've not attended that many motorsport events because of finances and and, and the fact most of it just I just can't fucking afford half the time. But um, first one for me was Brands Hatch last year in the British Superbike Championship finale um, last year, which was kind of an empty kind of an empty blanket because. Josh Brooks had already won the championship the day before uh, because there was three races at Brands Hatch and race one was on Saturday and race one was all that Brooks needed to win the championship. So, like, we had already gotten there on Sunday morning and the championship was already over and Brooks had the number one plate on his bike already. Um, Not the best, but the action was really great. So I can't complain where that standpoint is. King, have you attended a motorsport race live in person yet? Uh, Not a big one. Like, any motorsport event... Like, I attended, I was technically a participant. Like, it's usually, like, formula student events. I was supposed to go to the the IndyCar race in Boston, but we all know how that turned out. Yep. Yeah. Um, not good. Um, so that's, that's a thing. Um, one more question, because Adam's not here. Um, Brian Glenn also asks, do you think F1 should allow different liveries on the same team? 
Um, he says, I sometimes have trouble making out cars, even though I've been watching F1 on and off since 2009. This is my first year following religiously. I would like to see the F1 driver, the number one driver use a regular livery and the number two an inverse livery. Uh, I would say yes, but there has to be some kind of limitation. Like they need to have, I would say they would need to have the same sponsor. Like I wouldn't want it to get to like the ridiculousness of, of IndyCar where, yeah. you, where you have passion and rotating liveries throughout the season. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, that's, um, I, I agree with that. I think if, if, if uh, my only rule would be, Make it clear it's the other car from that team. Where like again, having the same sponsors would definitely help where that's concerned. Um besides that, I'd be okay with it either way. So sure. Um I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, like if I had to make a comparison of like a team that like does it right now that works, what I, I think it's Dragon in um Formula E right now that's running mm-hmm. inverse liveries. Sure, that works. Um Penske kinda does it as well with their cars. I mean sure. They're, they're, they're a bit more vibrant and colourful, but the basic layout of the car and the sponsors are all pretty much the same. So you could tell it's still clearly a Penske car, even though the colours may be different and whatnot. So that's 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 something that blat- that, that, that kind of works. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of works. King, we're done! Uh, <laughs> we made it. <laughs> we made it. We made it. Um, we made it. Um, this, this episode be, ended up being a lot longer than I thought it was going to end up being. Have fun with that one, Johnson. But um, we got there. Again, a massive thanks to everybody that sent in questions. We really appreciate it. Again, you guys made this episode happen. Um, so thanks a bunch with it for that one, you guys. That was great. Um, again, before we go, places you can catch us, we're on YouTube at Motorsport 101 on there or on Facebook forward slash Motorsport 101 motorsport underscore 101 on twitter our personal twitter's at harrison 101 hd ryan king is at ryan eric king that's with two k's johnson who isn't here is aj underscore bomber sports he'll be back probably next week Uh, and just a little quick reminder this weekend formula e is back this weekend in marrakesh yeah we got formula e we got formula one this weekend and we got moto gp season finale at valencia so we're going to be absolutely stacked on next week's show so normal service will be resumed then Yay! Um, also, again, if you really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Thanks, everybody who listened. We appreciate you as always. We'll catch you guys next week. But until next time, I've been Andre Harrison. He's been Ryan King. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye. And good luck, good luck Connor Daly and Carlos Munoz. Sick team. <laughs> Sick team. <laughs>